Welcome to the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. I'm your host, Corey Graham. Join us here every Friday night at 8 p.m. or listen anytime via podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, to name just a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where the independent new authors come first. Experience a family's struggle for survival in history on the Erie and Ohio Canal in the new book by Rimo Pertu, titled Lock 40, Volume 1. I'm really happy that Rimo is right here with me now at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Rimo, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here with me today. Well, thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you very much. This sounds like a really interesting story. Can you tell us what you're exploring here? Well, the thing is, it's so interesting that that Lock 40 is not too too far away from my house. And it's right under the Interstate 77 with the river and canal. There used to be a town there. And as a matter of fact, my father-in-law told me about a long time ago that it was a small town here. And the town is right by the lock. And of course, everything that is in a book and the person who used to exist and the main character, that was his home turf. And he used to play around there. So that's where the name really comes, the title itself. And uh, everything revolves around a canal and doing business on a canal with the canal boats. Have you written before? Or is this the first time that you've made this journey? Over the years, I've been, as I said, this, believe me or not, this is going to be five volumes. I wow. have most of it done already. And I started that some about 13, 12, 13 years ago. And I knew that one of these days I was going to retire, which I've been, within the past seven years, I've been retired with my wife. So I, I knew I had to do something because I was just building decks and working around the yard. So <laughs> writing was always interesting to me. Yeah, you need a creative outlet on top of all of that hard work. To keep your mind clear and sharp and so Absolutely, and writing is the perfect way to do this. So is this the first time you've been published then? Yeah, that's the first time because after all, I have so much of that work, but then when I started working with Fulton Books, and they're such a great company to work Mm. with, and everybody's so good over there. So, But within the past year, everybody's been kind of... uh, you know, with this COVID business, so, sort of slow working from their homes yeah. or so forth. So it's been tough in that sense. Yeah. What did you learn along the way, especially in the publishing end of things, when it comes to editing a book and then choosing a cover and getting down to the real nuts and bolts of things? What kind of an experience was that for you? Well, I have a good experience because I have a I have an agent there at Full Books, and this lady's been very good to work with. And and we go back and forth and editing business and everything else. It's a lot of fun in my mind, too. You oh, know, that's great. And it's a, it's a creative process. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm glad you enjoyed the process. It can be hard. Oh, yes. So if an author were to come to you and say, I want to publish my first book, do you have any advice for me? What would you tell them? Well, the thing is that my idea was always that you can't give up your dreams. You sit, mm. down, you sit down and on a day-to-day basis, you should put aside like half an hour to an hour or whatever, start writing, write something. Something is better than nothing. So I'm saying that if nothing else, but create a small town and explain the town in detail, and you can create the people for the town from your past and so forth, and start writing. Every day put some lines down so and don't give up. 
Was there maybe a person in your life that you could say was most influential, most supportive for you during this whole time of writing? My wife, she's an English teacher. She was always rough on my writing style. And <laughs> my, <laughs> my, whatever was I was writing and whatever, she would say, no, that's not the way English works. Because after <laughs> all, English is my third language. And oh, I'm wow. speaking and writing. It's one of those things, you know, it's been a rough road in that sense. On the other hand, it's nothing bad about it, negativity or whatever, you know. My wife's been always such a good guide as far as that goes. Mm. Well, your English is quite good, so I have to say, you know, I quite admire that it's your third language now. That's yeah. impressive. See, I was a German teacher for 18 years, and of course, my native language, of course, is Finnish, which I spoke for 23 years mm. before I came over here. Languages are, to me, especially in Europe, they're very interesting because you have to study at least two, three, mm. even four languages besides your own, so wow. that's the way it goes. Writing is not always easy even though it sounds like it was easy for you and you had a great time doing this, but there are times when it gets hard and it, you got to put some work into it and maybe you get discouraged. Maybe you just you don't have any ideas of where to go next. So do you have a strategy, something you did whenever the writing got a little hard and maybe you got stuck? As, as a matter of fact, for me, it was never a problem <laughs> in a sense because if you create the characters in your mind, there's a lot of depth to them. And you always know that what to explore as far as that goes. And if you have a good plot that you created in your mind, you know, for me, it just flies. I, mm. I just, I said that I could never understand the writer's plot, but I, it's understandable too. All depends on your circumstances. But what I said, person should always take time and sit down and write something every day if you're interested in writing and don't give up. Just keep going. Mm. Great words, Rimo. Thank you. The book is called Lock 40, Volume 1, and we are looking forward to Volumes 2, 3, 4, and 5 as well. They're written by Rimo Pertu and published by Fulton Books. You can find it everywhere you shop for your books. You can get it at Amazon, at Barnes & Noble, iTunes, Google Play, down the street at your bookstore as well. It seems to be all over the world. <laughs> Absolutely, it is. Rimo, thanks again for coming on the show. I had a wonderful time chatting with you, and the book truly sounds fascinating. Thanks again, Rimo. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. And thank you for your show. Explore the beauty of Navajo life. In the new book that's out by John Clark, it's called Jericho's Adventures in Navajo Land, Sinking Sand. John is right here with me now at the Reader House Author Roundtable. John, welcome to the show. Thank you for talking with me tonight. Thank you. My pleasure. Uh, this sounds like a great exploration of the Navajo life, also the culture that a lot of people might not be familiar with. So can you tell us about it? Yes, very few people are familiar with it. I was born on the Navajo reservation and raised there and grew up with Navajo children. And well, you really learn the culture when you play with children. You know, they're very different than the way Anglos play. It's, it's really fascinating. But they're loving and wonderful people and they're happy people. And uh, one thing I noticed whenever I left the reservation is people weren't smiling as much and people weren't laughing about simple things like they do on the reservation. They just find all kinds of interesting things in nature and the way things are, and they just enjoy. They're so relaxed, they just giggle and have a great time. But when Anglos come around, they do tend to button that all down so people don't normally see it. It sounds like there's a lot of joy in the simplicity. There really is. 
God reveals himself in nature. Mm. These people that live in nature live close to God, and it's a happy place. Now, this book is the story of a young boy, Jericho, who's a Navajo boy, and you get to see life through his experiences. Yes. You see him walking with his dad to his grandmother's house, which is about six miles away. He doesn't mind walking. They don't, they don't mind that at all. They'll, they'll walk for a whole day just, just to visit somebody and to say hello and spend a little time together. And he's going down there to help his grandmother with her summer chores because he's getting bigger and stronger and she's a little bit older. Mm. And you notice that as soon as you see him walking with his dad on the trail down the canyon, he's got a huge smile on his face and his dad is smiling and talking and looks like they're having that good time I described. What's your writing background like? Have you written before? Have you been published before? Yes, I have. I haven't gotten anything that's been on the New York bestsellers list, but I've got lots of practice writing. And since I have grandchildren now, this is something that really appeals to me, plus passing on the understanding of who the Navajo people are. This is something that is not well known. And so they're misunderstood. They're mistreated in the sense that People frequently think that they're stupid or they're ignorant because their culture is so respectful. They will not look at anyone in the eye within their culture that's very rude. They don't twist a guy's hand till his knuckles are bleeding when he shakes hands. They just simply touch the palm of your hand or the heel of your hand, and that's it. It's a politeness that is not understood and frequently taken as stupidity. I led a crew or, or, or a tour of people on the Navajo to the Navajo Reservation. And while I led this tour of non-Indians to the Navajo Reservation, we came out of one place. And as they were getting on the bus, one fellow said to his friend, boy, that's a sad situation. His friend said, sure is. That guy looks like he's mentally ill. And the response is, yeah, he just stood there and went, oh, oh, oh. And uh, actually, that word is yes, is when someone's talking to you, you want to be polite enough to let them know you hear and you understand, and you're not disagreeing. And so while they were just simply sit, standing quietly, having a conversation, they were misunderstood. Well, it sounds like American culture in general has so much to learn, especially given the climate and how uh, we seem just to get angry so quickly and, and jump to conclusions so quickly. And your story of the Navajo being respectful, even in the face of ridicule, that says so much. You know, they don't complain. One of the most sad things is the building of Glen Canyon Dam and Lake Powell, the second largest lake in the Western Hemisphere, man-made lake in the Western Hemisphere. Beautiful freshwater lake that I've enjoyed for years. And I was there before they had put the lake in. One day I was on the reservation. I was a police officer for the Navajo Police Department, actually. Hmm. My training was in counseling, and so they hired me to counsel their officers. And you know, suicide is high among Native Americans. Hmm. So that was an important job. But I used to teach law enforcement classes, and I was in Page teaching the city, state, county, and anybody else that needed this certification. So I spent my nights sleeping on the, in my boat on Lake Powell. Hmm. And one morning, my dog was pulling sticks out of the water, but there's no trees. And so I picked up some of the sticks and looked at them, and they were floating up from Navajo homes that had been flooded by Glen Canyon Dam. 
And when that dam was put in, the proper prudence and diligence was not done because the Bureau of Reclamation had spent six years fighting over a dam they were going to put in the national park. After six years, the Sierra Club said, well, look, if you want, want to put a dam someplace, go put it in Glen Canyon. Nobody's there. And they just did. They didn't check. Wow. They even sent their people that were supposed to check everything in advance. After they started, they sent them to start doing their, their archaeological checks. So these people were completely flooded by the dam. And I've spoken to them. No one ever talked to them. But they're not going to come and get in anybody's face. And so they simply quietly suffered and they've lost all that land and they lost this beautiful place where they had lived for 700 years. It's like Navajo Jamestown that we came in and just plowed under. You know, what would happen if you did that? Well, John, thank you for telling the story of this truly remarkable culture that, again, in my opinion, we all could learn an awful lot from. The book's called Jericho's Adventures in Navajo Land, Sinking Sand. It's written by John Clark, published by Fulton Books. You can buy it everywhere that you shop for your reading material, on Amazon, at Barnes & Noble, on iTunes, Google Play, and at your local bookshop as well. John, thank you again for coming on the show. I'm fascinated by this culture and the story and the beauty around it, so thank you for expanding everyone's awareness of this, and thanks again for chatting with me tonight. My pleasure. If you're looking to be invigorated, if you're looking to be encouraged, if you're looking to be uplifted, then this next book could be for you. It's called Girl, Wake Up. It's written by Bernadette Bolden, and Bernadette is right here with me now at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Bernadette, thank you so much for joining me tonight. Thank you for having me. So this book sounds really unique and interesting, Girl, Wake Up. What's this all about? It is a book to encourage women, to empower women, to let them know that they can trust themselves, trust their instincts, and know that there's a higher calling in their lives. It is for them to just understand and know that above all things, Jesus is there for them. And if they would just trust him, their life will definitely be enriched as well as empowered. Fantastic message. How did the idea for this come about? My twin sister and I talk all day, every day. That is until her passing in 2019. Oh, I'm sorry. Thank you. We talked about how I'm like, I got to get this book out there. I have got to write this book. She was like, and make it plain. And I mm. told him like, I definitely will do that. <laughs> and that's what brought it about. Uh, you said make it plain. And oh, this is yes. very straightforward. You say no beating around <laughs> the bush with this one. So No, sir. Everybody that knows me knows I'm a no-holds-bar type of person. I, If you ask me a question, always be prepared to hear the answer. You may or may not like it, but I am going to give you the answer. And it's going to be truthful, and I hope you either take it, but if you don't, you will call me and say, I should have listened to you. So I'm that type of person. Uh, that's right. Sometimes the truth it isn't what you always want to hear, but got to hear it sometimes. So thank you. Yeah. <laughs> thank you for being honest. So have you written before? Is this your first book or where are you as a writer? It is my first book. I have part two and three. Wow. I have several other books that I read and it's one for guys coming out soon. It's entitled Guys, It's Okay. But my father showed me what a real man is. Hmm. And watching my dad, how he handled life, situations, money, things of that nature, people, always kind. 
I want women to see that there are real men out there. Mm. You might have to kiss a fruit frogs, but there are real men out there. And I really wanted women to understand that and know that they are out there. How long do you work on these? I mean, even writing them and then going through the editing and publishing process, what kind of a journey is that like? Oh, to write it. Now, Girl, Wake Up, because it was just, this is the second time I rewritten that book. The mm. first time I wrote it, it disappeared off my flash drive, off my computer. Couldn't find it. Oh. So finally, oh yeah, after crying for about a week or so, yeah. I could plainly hear the Holy Spirit say, you ready? And so, boom, we wrote it. The process of getting it ready, rewriting, published, it took almost about six to seven months. It's a process, but well worth it. It is. You got to have patience. And I, I don't think a lot of people yes. who haven't written yet really realize how much hard work and how long of a process it can be. They want to quit right now, and that's not yeah. going to happen. And a lot of people have asked me, what do you write about? You have to write about things that people will relate to. I have a lot of people say, I want to write a story about my life. Well, who knows you other than your family? Mm. And other than your family, who will pick it up and read it? You have to write something that people can relate to, everyone, not just your family. And that's the key to writing. It has to be something that people can relate to. It's great advice. Do you have any other words of wisdom now of somebody who hasn't published yet and is looking to publish their first book, get out there for the first time? What do you got for them? I say, Pray first. Make sure the information that you're going to get will be well received. Take your time. Know that it is not a quick fix. Please be patient. And I promise you, your work will definitely pay off. Often writers are the most avid readers as well, because they say the best way to become a better writer is just to read more. Would you describe yourself as an avid reader? And then what kinds of things do you read to keep yourself encouraged or motivated? I'm definitely an avid reader. Mm. I love to read. I will take that over watching TV any day. Mm. And I like to read self-empowering books, self-help books. I like to read religious books. Um, I have a few great authors that I absolutely love reading. I love it. I absolutely love it. And I think that's what helps me help others. Is that something that you've brought on from childhood? Are you a lifelong reader or is it just something you picked up later? I am a lifelong reader. My mom and dad had eight children. Wow. And my mom would walk all eight of us to the library with <laughs> bags and we would fill those bags up full of books. And you could walk in the house and not know eight children were in there reading because we were just all into all the books that we, we picked up to read. Wow. What a great mother taking your kids to the library and just saying, fill up your bags and yes. let's go. Because that, that's one of the best gifts you can give your children is the gift of books, the gift of reading. Yes. Even my own children, even through high school, they had to read an hour every day they got home from school. Mm. If your friends came home with you, guess what? They read an hour too. Wow. How wonderful. Wow. I wish, I wish people still did that. I know. It's the village raising the children, but it's not happening. Well, Bernadette, thank you for writing this. Again, the name is Girl, Wake Up. It's written by Bernadette Bolden, published by Fulton Books. You can buy it everywhere that you get your reading material. You can get it at Amazon, on Barnes & Noble, and iTunes, Google Play, and down the street at your local bookshop as well. Well, Bernadette, thank you again for coming on the show. What a wonderful book this is. Let's try to do this again soon. Sure. Thank you so much for having me.
There's a new book out by Steve Gladish that's a gripping tale of the struggle against racism and other evils. It's called Quana, Last of the Paiute Warriors. The author Steve is right here with me now at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Steve, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here with me tonight. Yeah, thank you. I love it. Quana sounds like a very interesting book. Can you tell me what this is about? Well, Quana is a, you know, I just happened to meet somebody. I was on nuclear Nevada duty out there when we were doing Nevada test site explosions. And I was out there on the, and I met this girl named Kimani, who was the forerunner of Quana. And it's just amazing. Uh, I knew nothing about Native Americans when I was 17, and all of a sudden, I loved the culture, and I read all about it. I was just, I was so happy after 10 years or whatever of studying a Native American to actually meet one. She was just amazing, and to to see her family, all of her background, I, I loved all the background I got from her and her dad, you know, all the things that they were struggling against. I think the biggest thing about the book that I I like is you never know what a person's history is like. You have no idea. Quan is a little girl on the Moapa Indian Reservation. Where can she go? Then her dad moves off the reservation and they start training Mustangs and selling them and and she has a new life. And Dakota grows up in the south side of Chicago. Mm. You know, they have 4,000 shootings there a year. And how can you imagine him to get in the Air Force and end up down in Nevada? It's just nobody would believe it. Fascinating story. About how long were you working on this? I think like two years, pretty solid, pretty solidly. After I published my book, Tracking the Skies for Lacey in 2018, and I just thought, you know what, I'm going to get this book done. And Hmm. so I put a lot of time in it, loved it. So Quana isn't the first time you've been published, and you've been published before. Can you tell me about that? Yes. I've written four novels. You know, I started out, and they're all based on my experience in the service as I was in a mobile weather outfit, upper atmosphere. So all the nuclear testing out in the Pacific, I was there. And I got to stay on islands and and meet people and actually get adopted like by a family. So that's how the first book came, you know, it's just a meeting Moana and um, Asamoan. And I wrote a book about that. And uh, the big thing is I wrote four novels. Okay. And my wife, she and I were very romantic but she did not want me to write anything about her. Hmm. So I wrote uh, about four different women, but they all had a lot of the same qualities as Betsy. So uh. I got away with it. <laughs> she doesn't know it. <laughs> uh, so you've written four novels. Is there a fifth? Or are you thinking of writing more? I think that's it. I actually got two thirds of a fifth one done. And I just thought, you know what? I'm spending too much time in the study. You know, hmm. <laughs> you know my wife's an extrovert and here I am writing books. And and I just thought, you know, I can't do this anymore. I got to get out and actually talk to people. (laughs) Mm. Yeah, it is important to live life as as good as writing is for you and and for the world. You know, it's good to get out there and and just experience things. Absolutely. Yeah. Do you have any advice for upcoming authors, for people who maybe are looking to publish, looking to get their first book out there? People have asked me that. And I said, if you can, Go out and live an exciting life that you've always mm-hmm. dreamed of, you know. Because mm-hmm. if I had a, if I had stayed at home, I never would have, I never would have been able to write about all the adventure and all the new people I met. That's what really helps if you have that experience. Like you almost have to have it. 
just look at Louis Lemoore. He's one of my favorites, okay? I've read everything he wrote. And mm. so you know I love adventure, and there's always a love story, and it's good. You know what I mean? It's There's no crazy sex or anything. It's just honest people living a good life, and they meet up together. So sometimes, so that helps, too. I should, you, when you ask me, when you say that, you know, if you like certain things, like I love Louis Lemoore, and I, you know, I loved a lot of the Native American stories. And so if you love something, you can actually end up writing a book about it. Hmm. It's great if you can go out and live it too. But, you know, the biggest thing to do is if you find some niche that you love, read the authors that are really good in it, and it'll give you some ideas. That's great advice. Uh, Steve, what do you do when you get writer's block? Have you ever sat down and just the words weren't coming? You didn't know where to go next? Good point. You know, I, the answer, I think Hemingway or somebody that I used to admire would say, you have to write. You know, he'd get up every morning and write, maybe from 8 o'clock to noon, and that was it. And he would party. Hmm. But he said, you have to write, get a piece of paper and write on it. Because once you start writing, even if you're blocked, you at least got started. If you don't, you have a blank page. Hmm. You have nothing to build on. I learned that. You know, I, I love humor. I just, I've always loved humor. So I, I'd start out thinking of funny parts of the book hmm. or thinking of a joke that would come to my mind. And then I would write that out and then I would get going again. So I was lucky. I, I just kind of, well, I was retired too, you know, hmm. so the last two books I was retired. So I had, had a lot of time I could put in on. Yeah, that's a good point. It's often the hardest thing to just get started. And often once you get the words going, then it comes a lot easier. So the book is Quana. Last of the Paiute Warriors. It was written by Steve Gladish, and it's available everywhere that you buy your books, on Amazon, at Barnes & Noble, at iTunes, down the street at your local bookstore as well. And this is published by Christian Faith Publishing. Steve, thank you again for coming on the show. I had a really nice time chatting tonight. I really enjoyed talking to you, Corey. Thank you so much. Author Clifton Wilkes is joining me here right now at the Reader House Author Roundtable, and he's got a new book out, Speaking Out Against Inequality. It's called Weary and Fatigued, Added Weight of Being Black. Welcome to the show, Clifton. Thank you so much for being here with me today. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. Now, can you tell me what your book, Weary and Fatigued, is all about? This book basically is about life in America as a registered nurse and the multitude of obstacles facing the black man in America. Mm. And by extension, you know, most black families in terms of education, health care, the criminal justice system, wealth creation, and home ownership, among others. How did this book come about? What gave you the idea to, to write this and then publish it? You see, basically, I, I worked in an emergency room for 23 years, and I've seen and experienced things. And I always wanted to write a book. So, you know, now that I retired, I had the time, so I wrote the book, yeah. So this is the first time you've been published. What kind of an experience was that for you? Well, it's, it's an experience I'm still learning, you know, but it's, it's a very good feeling to, to put your thoughts in writing. Mm. Yeah, certainly, it's something that takes a lot of patience. It's often a drawn-out process, especially once you get to the editing and, and publishing end of things, getting all those nuts and bolts tied down. Do you have advice for somebody who's also looking to do this for the first time? Yes, I think one of the keys is to have a publishing company that guides you. Mm -hmm. I have 
a lot of thanks to Fulton Books. You know, the, the people there were very, very good to me. They guided me along, they make suggestions. And, you know, it was a good experience. I have no complaints. Well, that's fantastic. About how long did it take you to write this and then get it out in bookstores? In fact, I've been thinking about it for the past four years, but uh, being a registered nurse in the ER, being going to school, it took a lot of my time. But mm. since I retired, I just put everything together and just, and just wrote a book. Now, are you thinking about doing this again, writing another book, getting published? Yes, in fact, I have I've written four books. Two is in the process now of being edited, and one is on my computer as we speak, yes. Would you say that there's a person in your life who has been most supportive of you while you've been writing? I'm a student of history, and I, I wrote the book with, with history in mind. I realized that a lot of people did not reach their potential because of discrimination, racism, segregation. So those are my driving factors. Now, you're tackling a lot of big issues here, a lot of complicated issues, and it seems like it might be a little hopeless. Uh, is there hope? There's a little glimmer of hope, yes, but after 400 years of slavery, you know, you're, you're confronted with the legacy of slavery and the criminal justice system and education. You get a little bit tired, like a discerner report that was written 50 years ago, and little progress has been made. You know, so of course you get a little bit tired, but, you know, you, you sold it on. Generally, did you have a, a sort of audience, a target audience in mind? I wrote a book with a cross-section of the population in mind, mm. fair-minded persons, really. Mm. People who can look at it and, and give it a, a, a just assessment, yes. Now, when you're writing, did you ever get stuck for ideas? You knew you wanted to write something, but the words just weren't coming out. The classic writer's block scenario. Did you ever deal with that? Oh, <laughs> yes. When I get the block, I, I just probably just stop for a few minutes, go, go sit down, you know, watch maybe a, a part of a movie for 20 minutes and come back to it. Yes, you get that sometimes, yes. But you have to keep focused. Now, is this along the lines of the kinds of things that you would regularly read? I read other things, but this is along the line that I read, honestly, like autobiography of Colin Powell and Malcolm X. Um, I'm a student of history, so, you know, I, I decided to put it in writing, yeah. We're glad that you did that, and we're looking forward to seeing more from you in the future. Again, this is called Weary and Fatigued, Added Weight of Being Black, written by Clifton Wilkes, is published by Fulton Books. You can find it everywhere that you shop for your reading material. You can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, Google Play, traditional brick-and-mortar stores as well. Well, Clifton, thank you again for stopping by the show here tonight. I had a nice time talking with you and finding out about your book. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Piper Pig loves looking for the truth, and readers go on that journey at a party. In the new book, Whose Birthday Is It Anyway? The author, Marsha Carr, is here with me right now at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Marsha, thank you for joining me tonight. Well, thank you for having me. Can you tell me what the book is about? Whose Birthday Is It Anyway? Well, it's about Piper Pig. She's the main character, and she keeps kind of eyeing up her family and her friends. They're preparing for this celebration, and as all kids are, she was just excited and said, so looks like a birthday celebration. Whose birthday is it? And they're all like, it's Christmas. Like, it's not a birthday, it's Christmas. And she's determined to find out if she's right or if they're right. And we kind of go on that journey with her. 
And the truth comes out. She discovers that. The truth that. comes out. That's fantastic. That's really important to be teaching children. How did the idea for this come about? Actually, I didn't start out to write a book, but as a teacher, I tend to, I don't know, as, as, as I'm going through a thinking process, I just start jotting ideas down and found that I was anticipating Christmas, but not in a good way. Hmm. It was kind of a rough year and, and I knew traditions were going to be different and wow. I was getting quite anxious about it. So found myself as I was going through my Bible one day, I'm like, oh my goodness, I had all these little pieces of paper with ideas on as I was kind of a random journaling and it's just kind of evolved with the pig, which is kind of my theme in my classroom. I've got pigs everywhere and so kind of went with that and with the alliteration because that's what elementary teachers do. And it was just kind of a fun way to get my thoughts out and kind of work through it and praying through that whole process. And God just kind of said, as I'm going like, oh, you know, I don't want to go through Christmas this year. And he literally said to me, whose birthday is this? You know, like, this is not about you. It's not really even about your family. It's about Jesus's birthday. And that kind of threw me back. And I mean, I knew that, but our emphasis on the celebration kind of goes around that. Jesus is somewhere in it as Christians, but it's about the traditions and the family get-togethers and all the traditional foods and, and all that kind of thing. And where the anxiety comes in is you're missing the point. Mm. And I find I knew I was not alone in that. And a lot of students that I have, young as they are, believe it or not, they go through that too. Mm. Wow with those things that are happening in their lives and Christmas is not what they see in the movies and, and on TV or, or what people think it should be. So that's kind of where it all came about and, and how I started pulling that all together. All those little pieces of paper, mm. <laughs> it just kind of started to pull together and, and saw a theme running through. So it's really important. You have such a great perspective being a teacher, working with these children every single day. So you know the sorts of problems they face, you know, the mm -hmm. sorts of situations that they're in. And you've taken what is an area that a lot of children do struggle with that you wouldn't think. And so you're speaking to them. And, and that's so important. Yeah, yeah. And and it was um, it was just fun to kind of stand back and watch that happen. Mm. Yeah. How, how God just works. <laughs> what ages of children do you work with, and is that the audience you were going for? Pretty much. It's third, fourth, and fifth. I also have, well, I have five grandchildren, but I actually have a granddaughter named Piper. <laughs> and <laughs> so imagine that. Uh... And then her sister, Brooklyn. So they're about preschool, first grade. So yeah, that elementary audience is what I was reaching for. I always say adults are never never too old to read children's books. Exactly. Children's books, half of the battle seems to be writing a good story, one that will grip children and keep them interested. But also you have the illustrations. That's mm -hmm. a very important part. What was that like, working with an illustrator, getting everything to line up the way that your vision was? Well, that was really fun because the illustrator is my daughter-in-law. Wow, that's great. It was fun. I remember one year for a Christmas gift is I just had this all typed out. And she's an art teacher at a Christian school. And for a Christmas gift, I bought her a 
drawing tablet and printed out the story and said, do you want to have some fun? Maybe like, you know, in your spare time, you can <laughs> jot some pictures down. I really had no idea how to even go about a, a publishing process or anything else, but I just thought, no, oh, we could, we could play with this. So that took a, a few years because in between she was giving me more grandkids. And <laughs> so it was... <laughs> Kind of took some time, made it a little longer to get that process done, but it was it was just so fun to work with her and then to see her children uh, see the whole finished product. That was just fun. And, and they'd look and they go like, oh, that's their dog. Lucy is in there. Uh. She put little <laughs> touches. My son is in there and he's a pig with a beard, <laughs> you know, and they go like, that's daddy. <laughs> so. That process was, that, that was just the icing on the cake for me. Yeah. Wow. How wonderful. Would you think of doing this again and writing another oh, book? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Any plans for anything right now? I'm kind of playing around with some some ideas, getting some, some brainstorming through there. And, and again, kind of working through what I'm teaching my students and putting that all into perspective. And I teach at a Christian school as well. So mm. I'm able to see a lot of those things and work with the kids from a scriptural point of view. That's just been a a real blessing. So that's helping me to kind of come up with some ideas where I'd like to go next. Well, fantastic. The book is called Whose Birthday Is It Anyway? It's written by Marsha Carr and published by Christian Faith Publishing. You can find it everywhere that you shop for your reading materials. You can get it at Amazon, at Barnes & Noble, on iTunes, and even down the street at your local bookstore. Though, Marsha, thanks again for stopping by the show here. I had a really nice time talking with you and, and finding out about this really great book. Thank you. Thank you very much. I enjoyed that, too. Blessings. Readers join a young dreamer and his unique companions on a fantastic adventure in Nogard Chronicles, The Crowning of Nathaniel. It's the new book by Graham Silvers, and I'm happy to be talking with him right now here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Graham, thank you for stopping by the show tonight. Ah, my pleasure. This sounds like quite an exciting book, Nogard Chronicles, The Crowning of Nathaniel. Can you tell me what it's all about? We got a young boy dreamer. He and his best buddy go on make-believe adventures. And one day, he gets to go on a real-life adventure. His task is to save the life of the world's oldest living dragon. And evil is kind of working against them to see that the dragon does not make it. So it's a race kind of against time. Wow, sounds exciting. How did the idea for this story come about? Boy, uh, years ago, my buddy and I went into a half-price bookstore in the area here, and they were having a children's bedtime story contest. The criteria there was 300 words or less, and I attempted three times to write this book. I had a story title and a storyline in my head right away. I just couldn't write it short enough and make it flow, have any kind of sense to it. So my buddy, he said, why don't you just write a full-length novel? And I kind of shied away from it at first, but then started toying around with it and got hooked. So there we are. Uh, so it's the first time writing a novel for you? It is. I uh, did a lot of writing of single-piece poems, got a few of those published, but got hooked on this story and have been working on it ever since. A yeah, novel's a pretty big undertaking, and it sounds like a pretty complex story as well. What was that whole experience like for you? 
you know, it was uh, confusing at times. Pleasurable all the time, though. Mm. Did keep a notebook next door to me as I was writing, putting ideas down that I might want in the story, either in this, this first one or the next one. Brought it all together, made a few mistakes, had those corrected, and finally got it to uh, flow really well. But uh, a very, very, very time-consuming in the beginning, but uh, fulfilling in the end. Now, is this book, are you planning on it being part of a series? Yeah, originally I had I had intended to make it just one book, but as I wrote the first one, this one, I had taken a lot of notes about things that I'd like to see in the story, and the storyline just got bigger and bigger. So in the end, I had in mind to make it a trilogy. If it takes off, I do have storyline and title for a fourth book, so kind of keeping that on the back burner. Well, we're looking forward to that. So what advice now would you have to aspiring authors who haven't published yet? Now that you've been through this, I'm sure you learned an awful lot. I, uh, yes, I did. Perseverance. Uh, I completed this book 21 years ago. Wow. It took me forever, but I stuck with it, and that's the thing. Stick with it, because somebody out there wants to read your book. Probably even me. So stick with it, and it'll be rewarding in the end. Often there's a lot of joy in the process of writing. It's going great and the ideas are flowing, but then there are times also where you hit that brick wall. It's not so fun anymore. The ideas aren't flowing. You're not making the words come out anymore. Uh, Have you ever experienced that? And if you did, uh, what do you do about it? In this book, I hit a couple of times where that was just, it just wasn't working. And I sat and sat and sat, and finally I just put it away and went about my business uh, with my job and various other things. And as I was fishing or or working, I would be thinking about the story and where I was so far. And then all of a sudden, ideas would start springing up, or I'd see something that caught my attention. I'm like, oh, I want to write about that in this book, you know. Mm. And then it would start to flow again. But yeah, there's going to be there's going to be dry spells. Right now, I'm working on book two, and I'm in a dry spell right now. So. Mm. It does happen. Yeah, absolutely. You just have to push through it, sometimes put it away and do something else completely, then come back to it fresh. So Yes, yeah, you'd be amazed how all of a sudden ideas will just pop in again when you're not expecting it. Definitely. So would you say there's a, a person in your life who's been most encouraging or supportive of you during your whole writing adventure? Back then it would have been my father. He was still living at the time, but he was a big push for this book, and, and the reason I didn't give up, he would often tell me how amazed he was with uh, how tough things would get for me, and I would just stick with it and see it through. And that's really what helped me get through this book during some trying times and some dry spells, and I just thought about what he used to say, and that kept me going. Mm. Now, after all these years, after all this hard work and, and all the patience and perseverance that, that you've put out there, what was the feeling like when you got your very first copy and you opened it up and you were holding it in your hands? What, what feelings were you experiencing? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I, uh, I've taken the copies out time and time again, and it's just exhilarating to see the copy in my hand. Uh, and I paged through it, and it's, it's just uh, it's hard to explain because it just it gives you this natural high, just up and up and up. And every time I even think about the book, it just brings me up. It's just a very exhilarating feeling. Oh, that is wonderful to hear. Well, again, the book is called Nogard Chronicles, The Crowning of Nathaniel. 
written by Graham Silvers, published by Fulton Books. You can find it everywhere you shop for your books. You can get it on Amazon and Barnes & Noble, iTunes, Google Play, and the bookstore down the street, too. Well, Graham, thanks again for coming by the show. I had a great time meeting you and speaking with you and, and finding out about your book. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Thank you very much. It's been described as the kind of thing you can't stop reading. It's the new book called Lights in the Attic by Ted Draper. Ted's joining me here right now at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Ted, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming by tonight. Thank you for having me. Can you tell me about Lights in the Attic? What's this book all about? Uh, Lights in the Attic is a story that's a little on the far-fetched about this young girl who has a great fantasy and her life is in the West Virginia woods. Her father works as a miner. She uh, walks home from school every day, and she just happens to see this old building up in the woods. She stops and she stares, and there's these lights in the attic. So I filled in this story with her fantasy world. Hmm. She becomes involved with a pumpkin. It's a jack-o'-lantern. It goes on from there about how the house gets destroyed, and the pumpkin has no place to go, and the spirit that lives within this pumpkin is talks to this young girl who's 11 years old, and this little girl scared to death of the spirits, and it's about her fantasy with this pumpkin and spirit, this young boy called Peter, and it goes from there. It's a hilarious, fun, kind of scary in places, but there's a lot of laughs and a lot of, you know, excitement about it. Yeah, sure, sounds like it. How'd you get the idea for this? You, you said, you know, it gets crazy a little bit. Is that the way your mind just works? Do you just have crazy ideas like that? Yes, I look for the far-fetched ideas. I like the humor part, and I like the scary part, too. That's my whole being now. Mm. I love the hereafter, the world of spirits and apparitions and that type of thing. About how long were you working on this one? About a year. It's a short story. It's not a long, drawn-out 200 pages. It's 35 pages long, and it's, it gets to the point. It has a, ongoing. You just, once you start reading, you want to keep reading to find out. What's going to go next? I love it. What kind of audience were you looking at when you wrote this? Well, it would be more in the realm of a, a young girl, probably in the age of 11 to 14. Anybody that sees the book, they'll pick it up and look at it and, and kind of, that looks really interesting. And it lights in the attic, it kind of starts creating a little bit of a thought process in the reader that's going to pick, you know, it'll read the back and get an idea. It's going to be a mystery in a way. It's great when you can put a book out there that just by looking at it, it starts provoking the imagination and getting those things flowing in people and gets them curious. What's your writing background like? Have you written before? Have you been published prior to this? Yes, I've, uh, I've also published the Love Flame Connection with the Christian Safe Publishers, and it's done very well. Great. I did it out about two, three years ago. It's another book I had a lot to do with my life and processes of my life and so forth. Then I've been writing since I'm in high school. I love stories. I love true stories, mostly. But then this uh, Love Flame Connection is a, is a fantasy world, a little bit far out, but it, it's fun. It's about two people that have fallen in love in the Vietnam War. But I love the realistic stories. That my mother's very had a very historic lifestyle. Mm. I take a lot of the, my written stories from her and her life. Well, Ted, you've been writing a long time, and you've been published now. So what words of wisdom do you have for aspiring authors that want to get their first book on shelves? 
Well, I guess it's 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 basically what do you what do you really feel good with in your mind thinking? What do you feel is it fantasies, stories, creating a story, is it mysteries? Stay with it and work at it. So do you have another one in you? Are you thinking about writing more, publishing more? Well, I have another story called I haven't had it published yet, but it's my I think my favorite. It's called Gold Rush Palace. And it's about this young writer that goes to this old ghost town that's actually not even in existence. He goes there and he falls in love with an apparition. And it's kind of a fantasy, scary movie, book, I should say. I think of it as a movie because it will be a great movie. <laughs> that's great. I think a lot of writers do think visually. You see the picture in your head first and then you try to translate it into words down on paper. Yes, I do. I really do. I read something someplace and it's a spark that gives me a, an idea for a book or a story. So could you say that there's maybe a person in your life who has most inspired you, most encouraged you, and supported you throughout your writing journey? Well, my wife is always, she likes my way I put things. It's, it's clear. It's, it's, people can get a vision. She always says, this is what people want to see. Mm-hmm. They like to have that vision of what you're trying to get across, and you make that vision very clear. She's always helping me with different ideas I have and how they should be put into the storylines. Well, that's wonderful. It's great that you have somebody so close to you that can support you and encourage you and likes your style. Again, the book is called Lights in the Attic. It was written by Ted Draper and published by Christian Faith Publishing. You can find it everywhere you shop for your reading material. You can get it on Amazon, on Barnes & Noble, on iTunes, and at traditional brick-and-mortar stores as well. But Ted, thanks again for talking with me here tonight. I had a really nice time. Very good. Thank you for the opportunity. We hope you enjoyed this edition of the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. We hope to see you back here every Friday night at 8 p.m. or listen anytime via podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, to name just a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where independent new authors come first.